You're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is season 10, episode 12, The Artist Roundtable, part one. The Makers and Mystics roundtables are unscripted, unedited conversations around a particular theme. This roundtable discussion centers on what I've called the recreation of meaning. As we go through life, as we get older, as our interests and influences change, the nature of our art grows and changes along with us. But for the artist whose work has been established in the mind of an audience to sound or look or feel a particular way, changes to the nature of our work can carry repercussions. In this episode, I want to invite you along with us in our discussion of how reinvention is a vital part of restoring the heart of the artist. Joining me for this discussion are longtime friends of the podcast, singer-songwriter John Mark McMillan, award-winning illustrator and author Vesper Stamper, and visual artist and graphic designer Brandon Willett. You can find out more about my guests, as well as links to join our creative collective in the show notes of this episode. For our patrons of the podcast, I'll be posting an early release of part two of this episode at patreon.com slash makersandmystics. All right, my friends. So we are here in Charlotte, North Carolina at my good friend, John Mark McMillan's home studio, chilling in the basement with Brandon Willett and Vesper Stamper, two of my good friends as well. You guys probably remember Brandon and Vesper from previous episodes on Makers and Mystics. These guys actually did the first round table together on the show, which I was not a part of, but we're gonna set the record straight for that tonight. Brandon is also the one that creates all of the beautiful brand designs and Instagram posts that you see from us. So first, John Mark, thanks for letting us hijack your studio and come have a conversation tonight. Yeah, anytime. I'm excited. <laughs> Hey, y'all heard that. He said anytime. Anytime. <laughs> if you can handle the wildness. It's a little wild around here. I'm not going to lie. You got family life happening. I You're know. in full-on dad mode. You're not on tour right now. We're, we're getting the real deal. Yeah. We had about eight kids when you guys showed up. They were just <laughs> losing their minds. And quite a big fluffy dog. Yes, and a huge dog with a huge voice. Yeah, it's, it's good. It well, took a minute to settle everybody down. But. Yeah, well, well, maybe the conversation we need to be having then is uh, understanding art and family. That's something that I'm wanting to get into mm. also. But tonight I had this idea for a conversation that I was calling the recreation of meaning. And I was also thinking of that word recreation as recreation, the recreation of meaning. And what I mean by this is that as artists, the symbols and the objects for musicians, the chords, the melodies, the way that we interpret the materials of our art form, they change and develop over time. And they may mean something to us in one season that they don't mean to us in another. Sometimes their meaning dies, sometimes it metamorphoses, you know, and sometimes that's difficult because the audience can put stakes in the ground. And if we have put out a particular form of art or if we have dealt with a particular subject matter in our art, if we become known for that, sometimes when we move away from that, it can be troublesome. It can be, it can be difficult. You know, when artists grow into something different, when we develop into something different, the audience doesn't always grow with us, if that makes sense. And so tonight, I just wanted to have a loose round table discussion about 
this idea of the recreation of meaning and how one thing may change and develop for us over time. So not sure where to get into the conversation. If any of you guys have some thoughts on it to get the ball rolling, but that's the topic. What do you think? I thought about a conversation I had recently about Kendrick Lamar's new record. And I've heard some of it and I like it, but I haven't spent a lot of time with it. So I don't really have an opinion overall, but I remember someone saying how it's great because it's a Kendrick record and he seems to only make really great stuff, but they're like, for a Kendrick record, it was just okay. And I thought in that moment, I was like, man, I'm glad I'm not Kendrick. (laughs) (laughs) Because when you make two or three just incredible, you know, records and you do it in a row, I was like, there's so much pressure to do that again. And I don't think people usually see the journey you take from zero to greatness. And you could repeat greatness if you copy what you did before. But if you don't copy what you did before, you have to take another journey. And sometimes that means starting from a different place. And I was like, man, Kendrick needs to have the freedom to start from a different place. Like he, you can't expect him to just drop this incredible stuff constantly. I mean, it's still pretty, it's still pretty great, I, I thought. But I also thought like he needs the opportunity to experiment, to try new things and by nature, you're not gonna be an expert at something that you just started. It takes time to build up to something new. And so I thought that's really interesting how people expect when someone does something they think is great, they expect it to everything they do to follow in line, in line with that, right? But they also want them to do something new. <laughs> and it's like, you can't really have both of those things at the same time, because right. they need to figure out how to get there and now, and, and the first time they figured it out, they weren't on your radar, so you didn't follow along. Now they're on your radar and you're gonna get mad when they do something that's a little weird or a little off center, but they're just finding their way the way they did the first time, and just you weren't watching the first time. Mm-hmm. I wonder if the audience you know, is expecting a commodity, right? You know, like we, we put out projects and they're fairly fully realized and they're, they're in a package and you can pick them up off a counter in the store, you know? And so like the audience gets used to that and to like, okay, deliver me my product. And I wonder if maybe as artists, we need to be a little bit more forthright about like, hey, you know, if you're going to be a fan of my work, let me take you into the artistic process a little bit and help you understand that, you know, this album or this book might be a transitional project for me where I'm just starting to ask new questions and I need to create a fully a fully formed project, you know, but it's not going to, it. you know, it may not hit all the boxes. You may not, you know, pick up what I'm putting down, but you can at least understand that, you know, as a human being and as a creator, like I need to go through this process. I think that's why I've enjoyed artists like, for instance, I've been a longtime fan of Sufjan Stevens since Seven Swans in Illinois. But if you look at the work that he's put out since then, none of it has been the same at all. It's been everything but a repetition of Illinois or Seven Swans or anything. I guess you could say Carrie and Lowell was kind of hinting at some of the Seven Swans right. sound, but like when I think of following an artist or when I think of like keeping up with an artist's work, part of the joy for me is the anticipation of where are they gonna go next. Beck is another one. Uh, we were just listening to Beck earlier tonight and I love Beck. You don't know what that guy is gonna do next. And there's no 
it's almost like the lack of cohesion creates a cohesion. And so you you learn to expect, oh, is this going to be another Odelay? Is this going to be sea change? Is this going to be some electronic pop inspired? What is it going to be? And I think, I don't know, maybe as the artist, we create the conditions. I mean, we, we kind of create the culture that, that the people that keep up with our work begin to anticipate. But as the artist, you, you have to establish a culture and sometimes you can't find out fully what an artist is about from one project. Yeah. I was wondering like, how do you level set expectations? You know, mm -hmm. that's, that's a weird thing to ask of an artist really. I don't know. It, it, I, I think now within like kind of the age of social media, it's a little bit easier to be in touch with your audience and say, hey, buckle up guys, we're about to take a left turn. <laughs> You well, know, people are but, making more singles than records in some well, ways, sure. or, you know? Yeah, but I was thinking of Radiohead. That's always the first one that comes to my mind when it comes to taking different directions. I mean, it's almost a verb in society when you say, we took a kid A, you know? It's like, man, they went they went that direction, and that's exactly what they did. But I feel like I feel like for them, and I don't know, John Mark, you probably have some more like kind of history contextually about why they did what they did, and then then obviously I'm going to Amnesiac and then kind of coming back to rock and roll. They took turns, I feel like they did it kind of deliberately and as artists, you know, doing that, but not really communicating necessarily to their audience what they're doing. They're just being artists and just, you know, if you want to come along, come along. But, but at the same time, it's like they already had a certain level of clout to where if somebody fell off because they didn't like that electronic music so much, <laughs> that it was okay, you know, because they're probably gonna pick up a few other ones along the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know, I just don't know how you would actually communicate that or, or even level set, like, hey, this is what we're gonna do now, guys. Yeah, well, you said something that made me think, I've been listening to the audiobook of Nick Cave's Faith, Hope, and Carnage, and I've mentioned it so many times. I've been talking about it on Instagram a lot too, because this book is rocking me. We're going to definitely have to do this in a Makers and Mystics book club at some point. But one of the things that they even said today is like, when you release a new work or when you create something new, inevitably you're, you're probably going to lose a few fans and you're probably going to gain a few others. And, you know, so what is the criteria if we're wanting to be integral artists and be authentic and, and follow what is really resonating in us in that moment? That's a real risk, especially when your art involves your livelihood and there, there are risks and stakes at hand. But that's a, that's a real challenge that I don't think a lot of people see from, from the audience perspective. There's the element, too, here of age, right? Because, I mean, I think the arts can be... a a place where youth is really worshipped, right? You know, and and the pressure to like achieve a certain thing before you're 25 or 30, you know, and to sort of maintain that kind of youthful vigor or those that same sort of spirit, right? But you know, as people mature, and if they're if they're keeping themselves open as artists, like their curiosity is going to lead them into all different kinds of places, right? Mm -hmm. So if somebody, you know, hits it early and has like really young success. There's value in that, you know, but they may be setting themselves up for the expectation that you have to deliver to your audience the same thing that you've always delivered. And the the questions that you ask as you get older inevitably change and right. broaden. Yes. Well, there's some really good examples in culture right now, like um, 
uh, Taylor Swift would be one. Right. And Miley Cyrus would be one. I mean, she's Hannah Montana, and then now she's like um, <laughs> doing duets with the Flamy Lips. Right. You know, it's like she made a big change, and that's not an easy thing to do. That's really interesting. Those two examples. Ta- Taylor's really interesting. She starts out as a teenager playing, you know, singing about Romeo and Juliet. Mm-hmm. And now she's singing with Justin Vernon and The National. <laughs> right. yeah. You know, and it's like, it's really interesting. She's almost introduced the popular world to the cool indie. It, it's, it's really interesting, you know, whether you like her or not. And I like some of what she does and some of it is not my cup of tea, but I, I really do appreciate her ability she must have some sort of really great awareness of, you know, like her, she's really good at growing with her audience, it seems like. Mm-hmm. You know, it really seems like she's like not playing to to 13, 14 year olds the way she was. You know, it's like she's, they've sort of grown with her right. and she's realized, look, they're growing up with me. So she's singing about what's happening at her age. And as her audience ages, they're, there's someone is thinking really hard about that because it's working really well for her. Yeah, and I mean, not to throw shade here, but like you see somebody like Madonna, who honestly, like, it seems like she wants to go back to being 25 now. And it's like, we're missing out on the on the growth and the wisdom that Madonna could have really given like as an older artist now. And it's just, it's a little hard to watch. It's painful, you know? But well, then, but then, what's funny about that is then you look at almost her not her counterpart, but the um, the, the borderline heir apparent with Lady Gaga, and she actually did that, and she did that much better because yeah. she started as an absolute baller of a pop performer, and then was doing duets with Tony Bennett, mm-hmm. you know, and then this amazing yeah. album that they did for that. I actually never saw the, the saw the movie, and Star everybody's yeah, great, yeah, Stars Born with yeah, you Super know, mature. who doesn't know Shallow, you know, mm-hmm. but it was you know, talk about a redefinition. And I, I guess I would assume that's I don't want to say that's maturity, but you know, she changed and she chose to change with that. And I, I feel like that, that was, that's probably a better example. Cause yeah, Madonna is just, it's, she's kind of a sad state of affairs right yeah, now. Yeah. Well, and I want to, and hopefully Madonna doesn't hear this and it's like <laughs> mad that I said this. She can yell at me. <laughs> but I will say this is I think that when I, cause I've thought about this type of thing a lot, not to put down Madonna, like people have strengths and weaknesses as an artist. Right. And she's really more of a producer and more, and and more of an artist as a as an entity she's still a good singer and obviously a good dancer but lady gaga is a much higher caliber performer than madonna was at her age Interesting. and that's why i think madonna couldn't have done a duet with frank sinatra or tony bennett that would have worked because like she's madonna's a vibe and that's fine actually because like people are artists in different ways you know but Lady Gaga, actually, like when you take away all the hype and whatever, she's like an incredible performer. That's why she can show up and sing the movie, and she can yeah. do a Tony Bennett. I thought that, uh, like Justin Vernon a lot, like the way he's able to change and everything's good. Like I, I mean, 
you can disagree with me because everyone has different opinions, but I feel like, you know, when you go into a Bon Iver marketing meeting, there's a slideshow with my face on the wall. <laughs> like I, I try not to like their music and I love every single thing they put out. Yeah. Like for the, like 99%, like I love, not just like, and I try real hard not to like it. I'm like, it's so cliche for a guy with a beard my age to love Justin Vernon. So I'm not going to do it. And then he put some, I'm like, I, I do, I love it. Yeah. Like I, I just absolutely do. But I think that for him, it's the same as that he's such a high caliber performer that he's able, Sufian's the same. They're, I think they're such a high, really good at the craft itself. They're able to take some lefts and rights. Like if I was to change too much, I'm going to have to learn, like I'm trying to write on the piano, like, I'm having to learn the piano, mm-hmm. you know? And so maybe that's a little bit of a side conversation, but I, I think if, if artists are thinking about how do I age well, how do I grow and change? I think the, you know, your ability to perform and do what you do is gonna be helpful for you when you make changes. You know, if you're a Madonna, like she doesn't have the voice Lady Gaga does. She can't, she's not gonna sound good right. with a guy, like Tony Bennett has a massive voice. And I'm not saying that to put her down. If you put her singing with Tony Bennett, it's just gonna be incredibly obvious how small her voice is. But Lady Gaga, it's gonna be obvious that she can keep up with Tony Bennett. Yeah, It's making me think of several things. One, that it's easy to get stuck in what feels safe or in what works. And there's kind of this balance between you know, the cliche, if it's not broken, don't fix it type of thing. And then the other cliche of the one trick pony who never changes. And you mentioned Vesper earlier that our culture, and you've actually said this on previous podcasts that we've done, the worship of youth culture that is so prevalent here. And John Mark, you were talking about how to age well. I love that question. I think that's such an important question of how do we age well as an artist, and again, back to this Nick Cave book that I was reading today, he talked about that, and he talked about how the lyrical content from his early music is so different than what it is now as a 63-year-old man, and he is still creating music, and for him, it's like, he wants his audience to to grow with him and to see that the content he's putting out now reflects the years of wisdom, failure, experience. Everything that he's gone through is now embodied in these songs that he's writing. And uh, man, that's something I would love to communicate to audiences that are following the work of artists is to to let the artist grow and to grow with them and then to the to the artist not to feel like you have to repeat that thing or to get stuck in a loop of trying to repeat the 25-year-old version of yourself, you know? Yeah, yeah it's like Uncle Rico and Napoleon Dynamite. You know? <laughs> if I could only like, go back. <laughs> I could take state, you know? <laughs> I could have sold a million records. How much you want to bet I could throw this football over the mountains right <laughs> back in 82? You know, but like if the, if the job of the artist, right, or if like the position of the artist is to follow your curiosity, you know, and to just allow those questions and concerns to inspire you to make work, then that has to come with the acceptance of, okay, you know, well, what happens when I, when the clock ticks over from 39 to 40, Totally. you know, and that it doesn't mean that you're, you're washed up or you haven't accomplished, you know, because your best work may very, very well be ahead of you. Yes. And usually is, to be honest with you. 
So if we're talking about meaning, if we're talking about the recovery of meaning, Mm -hmm. well, when do you really start to ask the deepest questions about meaning, it's usually not when you're 22. Right. You know, you're you're just getting started. Like those are important. You're just getting started. You're figuring out how the world works. You're observing some things, but then you know, when you've seen some stuff really get broken over like right. 20 years, and you start to notice patterns, right? Mm-hmm. That's when you can start to go, okay, like I can incorporate these patterns I'm seeing into this like I can get curious about those and make work about those. Yes. You know? A hundred percent. When you're, you know, when you're 23, 24, 25, which this beautiful time, like it's yeah. so exciting. We got the like, energy and the vigor, yeah. you know? And you can, I was talking to some some young, as a group of people, so I guess they're young and old, um, but how, you know, in your youth, like those are the times you figure out what your limits are. And so you can push yourself to the limit because you sort of like, that's that's part of what youth is for, is figuring out the landscape. But then what you do in strength, the strength of youth when you're in your 20s, you have to transition into wisdom in your 40s because you don't have the, uh, the strength of youth that you used to have. But the cool thing about wisdom is it's scalable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The vigor and strength of youth is not scalable. It's big and you have a lot of it and it's a lot of fun. But when you hit your limit, that is your limit as wisdom actually can there's there's very there's no limit to what you can do with wisdom and it's not only scalable it's also compounded by the people that are around you you know so as you like you go forward in life and you're interacting with other artists and you start to go ooh there's like some possibilities here with collaborating or with just like mutual interests or mutual questions that we're trying to ask and so you start to form you know like for lack of a better, well, I was going to say community, but I'll say communion. (laughs) You start to form communion with the people that you're now going to run with into your elder years, you know? And that's exciting because then you start to form like schools, Mm -hmm. you know, like schools of artists, like, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. um, and those are the people, you you know, when you read back about their lives, like the Inklings or whatever, and you're like, Mm -hmm. oh, that person knew that person. Right, I love learning that. Yeah. 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 I think that's incredible. It's not just scalable, it's compounded. Is that what you said? Yeah. Because it is, it's, it's not just schools. It's like you plug in, like I have access to your wisdom. I don't have access to your strength. Mm. Right, maybe a little bit when we're young, we can go do stuff together. But like, but I have access to your wisdom, and mm. I have access to his, and we, the the four of us, can share, and we don't have to have all of our own wisdom. Like we, I think that's beautiful. Is you get access to the people in your world, yeah. to all of their experiences at the same time. I do think one thing maybe I just realized is you the wisdom you have in older years is earned when yeah. you're young. Mm-hmm. So sometimes there's this play between old and young like we're against each other no, no, or one no. you know what i'm saying but i you know and i well everyone I, who is young will someday be old <laughs> if they're lucky <laughs> if they're lucky if they're lucky they'll be old that's why my dad turned i can't remember how old he turned but one of his birthdays he's older says how does it feel to be whatever he's like better than the alternative <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah but if you're lucky you'll be old you know right. the old mm-hmm. the you know the lucky grow old but but the wisdom you you gain in your late years is what you earn it in your early years by pr- yeah. by pushing the limits and realizing oh that was a limit i just crossed the line that's so interesting but if you don't cross that line you don't learn that and you start to realize that you know so much of the time you spent in your 20s let's say 
was wasted with with obsession about competition, you know, and jockeying for for position and stuff like that. And where you start to realize, oh, no, 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 like this person occupies their space and I occupy my space and I fully do, you know, like I've said this before, but somebody told me in grad school that the average lifespan of an illustration career is 10 years. And I just thought, oh my gosh, how can that be? You know, but um, there's so much pressure to like, for people to to opt out, you know, and to just be like, the the work is too hard, the the competition is too hard, I'm too tired, you know, and and they cut themselves off from the potential wisdom that they could gain and like everything that lay, lies ahead, you know, and when it just becomes about, you know, producing the commodity or like, I'm not making enough money or I'm not getting seen enough or this person's, you know, doesn't seem to be able to move out of the way for me, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> So I have a question for you, Vesper, Mm -hmm. as kind of more the fine visual artist here and designer. I was thinking as we're talking about this, we're basically kind of orbiting around basically music and even more so like more highly produced music. But as a visual artist, I feel like it's actually easier to redefine yourself and your audience actually take that journey with you, right? Because that's kind of... It's, it is. It's, this is really where I feel like another place where the, the visual arts and, the, and, and music really take completely different directions. It is apples and oranges. And I, I do feel like, it, at least in fine art, there is a greater opportunity and a greater welcoming arms when an artist changes direction. I can think about Warhol. I can think about Rauschenberg. I think about these guys, and they did. They got to a certain age and they're like, I'm, I'm over this and I'm going to take this direction. And they still sold, they still exhibited, etc. What about illustrators? You just said that there's like 10 years of a lifespan. Can you multiply that by two if you change directions in your style or in your, in your content or your subject matter? And the answer is yes. The answer is that the, the illustrators who stay in the same mode after 10 years, nobody wants that anymore. Hmm. Like it gets like, because then there's going to be a whole new crop of, of people who are taking new risks. And if you're not the one that's taking risks and, and staying curious, I don't, I don't want to use the term like changing your style or like changing direction or whatever. It's just staying curious and being like, okay, well, you know, maybe this medium you know, doesn't work for this idea that I'm interested in, right? So if you can stay flexible and open, then you can make those pivots. But if you, if especially if you have early success or if it's like you, you nailed it with something and you just keep staying in that mode, well then there there does come a saturation point where people don't want that anymore. I want to go back to what you were saying a few minutes ago as we're talking about the recreation of meaning and this journey from youthfulness to old age and longevity and every staying curious, everything in between, a couple of things I was thinking about is like, when you're a younger artist, you know, the primary concern is establishing yourself. The primary concern is like making a name for yourself or putting a stake in the ground, whatever it is. And not to put this on all younger artists, but there can tend to be a tendency of self-absorption. At least maybe that was true in my own life is that there's a bit of self-absorption, some of that, and this might be a whole different conversation, but there's a bit of self-absorption that just comes with the territory of being an artist, but there's a toxic 
self-absorption that we all have to shed. And then when you're older, part of it is you start learning how to love or you start learning that your work really is serving the community around you. It's serving the people coming up behind you. You know, that's just, that's part of becoming an elder, I guess, in some ways. And one of the most impacting books that I've read over the past year, I've talked to you about it a bit, John Mark, but it's David Brooks, The Second Mountain. And this book has radically changed my life because it just spoke into my own life experience. And he talks about, and dare I mention Nick Cave one more time, <laughs> but you know, Nick Cave brought it up in his book as well, but how sometimes pain and suffering tend to be the best teacher and that sometimes it takes trauma, sometimes it takes a slap in the face to move us from self-absorption to where we actually liberate that creative spark that we've talked about for years to where it can actually serve the greater community. And so I think as we talk about the recreation of meaning, I think part of that really involves the willingness to move from self-absorption to more of an open mode of creating, you know? And thank you for listening to the Makers and Mystics Recreation of Meaning Roundtable Part 1. If you're a patron of the podcast, you can head over to patreon.com slash makersandmystics and listen to the concluding segment of this discussion today. If you're not currently a patron, but are inspired by the content of the show, please consider signing up today. For as little as $1 to $10 a month, you can be a part of keeping these conversations alive and helping us further the mission of building bridges between art, faith, and culture. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you again next week. And in the meantime, keep creating. The world needs your art.